right, everybody. It's Big Daddy, and we're here again with Big Daddy and Friends. And I'll tell you, our guest today, I, you know what? I'm just going to call him America's fullback, okay? That's the only way I can describe you because, I mean, obviously, we've known each other since, you know, our college days. And, uh, but, you know, you're America's football. You know, you're, you're America's fullback. You're, you're the moose, Daryl Johnson. So, everyone, say hello to Daryl Johnson. What's up, DJ? How you doing, Big Daddy? I'm good, man. Uh, you know what? I, I, I'll tell you, I'm so happy that you're uh, that we're chatting, and you know, so many memories come, you know, through my head of thinking when we first met to the time that you know I've been with you at Super Bowls, I've been with Pro Bowls with you, I've been. Uh, you know, one of the funniest, and I'll tell this story. We've been to one of your former teammates moving from Dallas to Houston. You know, remember that? <laughs> that Parts of it. Uh, yeah, you know, that one and uh, and so many other things. But just for everyone, for all the viewers and listeners that are out there, you know, for everyone that doesn't know you, um, you started, uh, you played your college ball at Syracuse. You guys had a great run there. And, uh, you know, I uh, – had the misfortune of running into you guys on that, you know, 11 and 0 team that you guys went to uh, played in the Sugar Bowl. That was probably one of the best uh, teams I ever saw in person. You know, you guys were you, Donnie Mack, and uh, you had the best center in America, John Garrett. You know? <laughs> <laughs> my neighbor, my neighbor growing up. Uh, that was our connection. That's our conduit. Yeah, that's right. That was, uh, you know, a lot of people don't realize that I had that the luxury of spending that one spring, I think, at Syracuse because I had gone to prep school and then prep school was done. So I was like, oh, you know what? Let me go up to Syracuse and hang out with those guys. And uh, I finally had to leave because I think I wore my welcome out and I was uh, <laughs> worn out from uh, part exactly, right? <laughs> partaking in uh, Sutter's Mills and all those other fine establishments up there. Beverages of moderation. Yes. Well, I'm learning that in my, uh, what do you call it, in my older age now, you know. it's uh, Instead of eating the four slices of pizza, Big Daddy, maybe just have one or don't have any at all, you know. So uh, lean and mean, that's the, that's the game plan. So, um, but anyway, so, you know, uh, tell us a little bit about growing up and your upbringing and, and you know, what led you from, uh, your hometown of Jamesville, I believe it is, right? Or, Youngstown, Youngstown. And where you grew up, and then you end up going to Syracuse. And go ahead, tell us a little bit. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's actually, it's kind of interesting when, you, when I reflect back on it uh, and just you kind of pick those key moments in your life. I'm sure a lot of people, when they take the time to reflect back, there's there's key turning points in your life. And did you make the right decision? Um, if, if you would have made a different decision, what path would you be on right now? So for me, you know, I came from a very small uh, rural town uh, up in uh, upstate New York. Um, it's as far as you can go up into the northeastern corner uh, or northwestern corner before uh, you're into Canada. So I'm actually 45 minutes north of Buffalo. Um, so... Uh, Football was big up there, um, you know, small communities. It's a little bit, uh, you know, my wife always teases me. She, she always says I grew up in Mayberry. Uh, it, it does have that feel to it. Uh, so it was a great place to grow up. Um, work ethic, 
accountability, a lot of great character values are shaped, uh, very, uh, very middle class. Um, you know, that, that was kind of the foundation for me uh, in, in a lot of the things that I would kind of tap into, you know, during my, my time leaving home and going to Syracuse and, and then moving on to the NFL because it, it, it's been a challenging ride. It really has. I think a lot of people look at where you've gotten to from a, a point of a destination or, or an endpoint and, and don't understand all the trials and maybe doubts that happen along the way. And there, there was a number of them for me uh, and, and really kind of starting right out of the gate. Um, you know, I was not heavily recruited. I was trying to get into, you know, some of the big Division three programs, uh, you know, in New York State in the Northeast. Uh, I was a good student in high school. So, you know, probably at that time, my my dream school was actually Cornell, um, you know, to go down and play football at Cornell. Um, and, you know, I actually went down and took a visit there. Uh, Maxie Bond had just kind of come on as a head coach. Uh, they were going through a little bit of a transition. Pete Noyes, um, remember him? Pete Noyes. Yeah, yeah, I do. I do. Yes. Um, yeah, and then while you're at Cornell, you know the opposite side of the uh, of the valley is uh, is Ithaca, and Ithaca at the time was one of the best Division three programs in the country. Uh, you yeah, know, multiple appearances at the Amos Alonzo Stag Bowl. So mm-hmm. while we were at Cornell, we went over to Ithaca, and uh, Jim Butterfield was the head coach at the time, and when we visited with him, you know, he just inquired, you know, who are you looking at? And I kind of went through the list of the big division three schools that he was very familiar with, you know, the, the, the teams that he played against and had to compete against it to, to get to the uh, championship game. Uh, and then I said, Hey, Syracuse has just kind of come into it here uh, over the last couple of weeks. And uh, you know, the conversation just paused and he said, Syracuse, <laughs> you can't play at Syracuse. Uh, so that, that was, that was kind of when the decision was made for me. Um, I, at that time, and, and really up until just a few years ago, I was a big prove you wrong type of guy. If you told me there was something I couldn't do, uh, I was going to make you eat your words. So it, as soon as coach said that to me, I knew where I was going. Um, but I was late in the process. Uh, you know, I didn't really think about that until, you know, when I got to Syracuse and you started hearing when all the other contacts were made. So I ended up finding out I was actually the last scholarship given my class year because somebody who had verbally committed to Syracuse changed his mind uh, and was going to go to Penn State. So they had one more scholarship open up and the consensus uh, from uh, from Coach Mack and, and the staff was, hey, let's give it to the kid from Western New York. Uh, we'll keep all the, the Buffalo alumni off our backs for a couple of years and we'll have a great <laughs> practice squad player, you know, as we move forward. So not, not a lot of expectations for me when I got to Syracuse and, and, and when I was there, I kind of, you know, I, I kind of found out why, um, you know, it was, it was a pretty big leap from, from my small rural high school football, uh, you know, to division one football at the collegiate level. So I, I really, I really struggled, um, you know, probably my first year, year and a half. Um, I doubted myself, um, you know, whether I'd made the right decision. Uh, but as you pointed out, you, you spent some time with the guys that were up there. It was a great group of guys. I mean, just tremendous, not, not only tremendous football players, but just tremendous guys. Still very, very close to, to almost all of them, um, you know, it, it's still to this day. Um, so, you know, they were great to talk to and, and to help build your confidence and, you know, kind of hung in there. And, you know, my mom and dad were great. Um, you know, hey, you know, worst case scenario is you know, you graduate from college with no debt, you know, you know, that's, that's not a bad thing. And, and, you know, we want you to honor your scholarship. We, we want you to honor your word. You said you were going to come here. You were going to play football for five years. Um, you know, you, you need to keep your word and, and going back to, you know, to where I was brought up. So, 
there was no quitting that. And uh, my uh, my third year there, uh, Jim Hoffer, uh, you know, came into my life. He, he became my running backs coach. And, and Jim and I are still very good friends uh, to this day. Jim really kind of changed my whole perception. Now, I had gotten bigger and stronger and faster and was getting closer to being able to compete at the Division One level you know, through Mike Wojcik and his strength program. But but Jim was the guy that made football fun for me again. I hadn't really had a whole lot of fun, uh, you know, the first year and a half at Syracuse. Uh, so as you pointed out, we got on a great run, um, you know, had some great guys there, you know, guys that went on and had great NFL careers. Um, you know, I was fortunate and blessed to be drafted by the Cowboys in the second round. Um, you know, but I kind of, the same thing kind of happened, you know, my first year and a half in the NFL, you kind of exhale, right? Because you think all the hard work is over with, so, you know, <laughs> hey, I finally made it. You know, every, everything I've been dreaming about is, is here. And, you know, I found out pretty quick that the hard work was just beginning uh, and, and you had to work harder than you'd ever worked before to stay at that level. So, again, for me, another little bit of an adjustment period. Um, and, and this, this time it was North Turner, <laughs> you yeah, know, North yeah. Turner coming into my life and bringing in an offense that really kind of fit my skill set at the fullback position. So, uh, you know, I, I, I reflect back a lot and, you know, to, to be where I am today, to have had the career that I had the opportunity to, to call some of the greatest guys to ever play their position in football, not only teammates, but friends like an Emmett Smith or a Troy Aikman or a Michael Irvin, um, you know, that happened because of, of, of a few situations in my life uh, and a few people that came into my life and uh, none bigger than Mike Wojcik, you know, the strength coach who was at Syracuse University, you know, Jim Hoffer, who became my running backs coach and, and really made the game of football fun for me again after I hadn't been for a long time. And then North Turner, you know, coming to Dallas and bringing that offensive, you know, that, that style of play in that really fit my my skill set. If, if those three guys were not in, in, in an intersection in my life, um, I, I know for a fact I wouldn't be where I am today, without a doubt. It's it's not it's it's not even something I would think about. I mean, just there's no way, and and I wonder if if just one of those guys was removed, where I would be. That's how important those three guys were in my life. Well, Norv is one of my favorites. I mean, you know, I got to meet him when he was down there with you, and uh, and we always stayed in touch, and and we've run into each other. I mean, one day I'm in San Diego. I'm at the uh, the races there at the uh, the the one of the races that's like the Kentucky Derby out there. And all of a sudden, I hear, "Hey, Big Daddy!" I turn around. It's Norm. <laughs> Here's the head coach of uh, I think he was coaching San Diego at the time. He's yelling out my name across everybody. He's like, "You're don't go over there. Come watch it. My I got a box." I'm like, yeah. right, I'll come in there and watch." Uh, opening day at Del Mar. That's where I was at. And mm -hmm. uh, I had just, like I said, I turned around after hearing my name get yelled out and it was him, you know, and yeah. uh, I, I thought he was probably one of the best coaches that, uh, especially with quarterbacks. I mean, you know, what he did with, obviously with Troy and then obviously what he did. I remember he made Alex Smith like he was that missing piece. You yeah. Know, he was up there in San Francisco and mm – -hmm. Philip Rivers, look what he did for Philip. You know, yeah. he, helped, he was a big yeah. part with Philip. And yeah, I, I remember Frank Gore. We did a, we did a San Francisco 49ers game shortly after Norv had left San Francisco, and and I literally gave Frank Gore Norv Turner's phone number. You know, check with Norv. Hey, I'm going to give your your number to Frank. Is that cool? And he's like, Yeah, absolutely. I love Frank. And he said, What's going on? I said, He really needs to speak to you. I mean, Frank was just so frustrated. Exactly. You know. 
I, I bet you North Turner became Frank Gore's Jim Hoffer. I mean, I, I, it, it seemed at the time that football just wasn't fun for Frank anymore. Yeah. And after everything he'd been through and everything he'd overcome and to put himself in that position, uh, you know, I, I, he just needed, he needed to speak to Norv. He needed to, you know, to hear those words and get that confidence back with him. So uh, yeah, Norv is just one of those, uh, one of those, you know, great genuine people in the game of football and, you know, not only quarterbacks, but play call. I, I, I don't, I'm not around a lot of different ones. Ernie Zampese was really good. Uh, you know, Chan Gailey came in after that. You know, I've been around a few guys at the NFL level. George DeLeon was fantastic along with Jim Hoffer at Syracuse, yeah. but you never really get an opportunity to be around him. But, but Norv on game day, I, I just, I can't see anybody rivaling how good he was at anticipating, um, you know, from tendencies and different things, what the defense was going to try to do. And it, one of the great ones was we were at the Pro Bowl one year and Merton Hanks came up and he said, Hey, you know, we had a, we had a blitz on in the championship game and we had a weakness in our coverage when we did that blitz. He goes, you know, we got home the first time uh, and, and, and got some pressure and they even got a sack on Troy. Um, he goes, but the, the next three times we ran it, you threw the ball exactly where we were vulnerable. Um, so what was your audible at the line of scrimmage? What, you know, what did you see? What, what was the tell that you knew that blitz was coming? I said, listen, I said, we don't have audibles. You know, we have check with me. So we can go to the line of scrimmage with, with two plays called. But, yeah. you know, at that time, our offense was more of a run it style offense. Um, you know, we didn't have live audibles at the line of scrimmage. So Merton's like, so you're telling me that you were able during the course of the game in real time, figure out from a tendency that, that the blitz could be coming. I said, listen, you don't know how good Norv is. I said, you showed something either, you know, position of the field down in distance or both or, or multiple things that he put together. And he had that play called himself at those times. It was nothing that Troy was audible into at the line of scrimmage. So, you know, from a play caller standpoint, I, I just don't think there's anybody rivaled, you know, you know, during my tenure in the NFL, uh, when you got the game day, he was, he was outstanding. So one of the things I really I'm curious about, and, and it has to do with Emmett Smith. Okay. Divine intervention. Tell us about that. Tell us about uh, one of the stories where you're up at Syracuse and you're reading about Emmett Smith. You <laughs> yeah. Know? And you're like, wow, that guy's a stud and this and that. And then all of a sudden, boom, you're in the same backfield. You know, yeah. tell us about that and, and, you know, your relationship. Obviously, uh, I know it, but, you know, let's uh, share that with the viewers and the fans. Yeah, it, it, it was bizarre. It was, uh, you know, it was the USA Today back at that time when you were in college. And they, oh, that's know, they right. Had, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. So they had, you know, they had the – you know, the top 25 and, it, and everything that was going on. It was just, the, you know, the, the one source at that time that you really got good information about about athletics all across the country from not only the professional level, but down to the collegiate level and actually the high school level. Yes. So, um, you know, I just remember seeing this kid from Escambia like all the time and I'm just reading about him and just the numbers he put up in high school. And I'm like, oh, my God, this, this guy's a he's a machine. This is unbelievable. <laughs> uh, and then he, he went to Florida and I just, you know, I just for some reason it just connected with me and I just, I, I continued to follow him um, and just was amazed at what he was accomplishing. And then yeah, as, you, as you pointed out, you know, a couple of years later, you know, here we are on the same team. Um, and I, I just, it, it was the most bizarre thing uh, that, uh, that I've ever, you know, kind of reflected back on. Uh, and, and I think there is some divine intervention in it. Um, you know, there, there's always been a connection, you know, between the two of us since we've had the opportunity to, to be teammates and then become really good friends. 
but yeah, it was it was bizarre that some kid up in in central New York is following some kid down in the Panhandle of Florida. Yeah, in the swamp. And, you know, four or five years <laughs> later, they end up being teammates. Uh, you know, in Texas. I mean, how crazy is that? Um, so yeah, I was I've, I've always <laughs> I guess you could say I've been a big Emmett Smith fan long before I got to to, to share a huddle with him. Yeah, well, that, I mean that's incredible, and and you know one of the things that remember when Emmett was. Uh, Emmett had the good fortune of being uh, on Dancing with the Stars. So I know he had this uh, Emmett Smith uh, dance-a-thon or uh, gala or something that uh, that I guess, did you have anything to do with that? Or were you there? Or were you there supporting? Or were you, or did you tap your way into the event? No, no. So he, uh, he had his first annual Emmett Smith Award, um, you know, for the high school athletes in the area. And, you know, he called me up and he, he said, hey, he goes uh, – he goes, this is a crazy ask. He goes, but I can't make it to the dinner for my award that's being presented on the first night. So he goes, I'm just, I'm having some guys kind of fill in for me. Uh, you know, Tim Brown was going to be there. Uh, I can't remember who the whole group was, but but there was a, a number of us that were going to kind of, you know, fill in for Emmett. Mm-hmm. And I, <laughs> I said, how can you not be at the dinner for the first <laughs> annual Emmett Smith yeah, award being given out? He goes, you'll hear about it that night. He goes, I just, I, I just got to know, you know, can you be there? I'm like, absolutely. I'll be there. So we get there and I, and, I, and I see Tim Brown. I said, do you have any idea why he's not here tonight? He goes, well, you haven't heard? And I'm like, no, he wouldn't share anything with me. He said, I'm going to find out tonight. He goes, well, he took us out to dinner, you know, when he invited us and he, he told us what was going on and, and why he's not going to be here. I said, what's he doing? He goes, he's going on dancing with the stars. And I'm like, cool. And Tim Brown's like, no, not cool. Not cool. <laughs> so he goes, we spent the whole dinner trying to talk him out of going on to Dancing with the Stars. And I'm like, why would you do that? He goes, we've ever seen him dance. He can't dance. So it was, it was unbelievable, the whole conversation. We're laughing. And then, and then to see what he does, you know, during the course of the competition, he ends up winning the Crystal, the crystal Trophy. So, again, I think it just goes to show you, you know, the kind of the metal that, that he has as, as part of his fabric. Um, not the greatest dancer in the world. When you, and you saw that at the beginning. Very coachable. Uh, Cheryl did a hell of a job with him uh, and, and coached him up. But if, if he commits to something, he, he's going to get it figured out. And, and again, I think the biggest thing is he had a great time. He's got a tremendous smile. Uh, I, I think he won over so many fans. There's probably a lot of people that didn't really know a lot about Emmett Smith before Dancing with the Stars. So he's, it's one of those opportunities for him to kind of cross over out of the sporting world yeah. into the real world, general population, and have all these people going – this this Emmett Smith guy is just fantastic. You know, just what a, what a charismatic smile, what a great personality. Um, so I, I think he won a lot of people over that way. Uh, and, but it, it's so funny to kind of think back on that dinner, how nervous everybody was that he had accepted the opportunity and then to see what he turned it into. Yeah, no, that's incredible. It's, uh, you know, it's kind of funny. It's like me. You know, I'm the insurance guy. Now I'm rebranding myself uh, over to uh, the entertainment, the the uh, interviewing, the journalists, I don't even, you know, it's endless. It's, it's, it's funny because I didn't go to school for that. And then all of a sudden, you know, I, even yourself, I mean, everyone's looking at me like, what is, wait a minute, that's Big Daddy on Fox and Friends. What's he doing? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and then, I, hey, they handed me a mic and they were like, go do it. And I did it, you know, and it's been, uh, it's been a hell of a ride, you know, even doing this, this show because I know how hard you work. You even got your uh, you you got your coach's drying board behind you, and I have one over here on the side. And sometimes I joke around. I do X's and O's, and I'm like, you know, my brother Jimmy, being a coach, I always joke around with him. I go, 
I was the one who was destined really to be a coach, but I saw how hard you worked. <laughs> so I, I was like, man, but even in this field, you, you the research that you do and, and, you know, looking up stuff and stats and, and trying to figure all that out. I mean, it's, it's, uh, you know, people watching, they say, wow, is it really that hard? And, and I will say to people, it is hard. You know? Yeah, it, it really is. Um, and, and you have to have the personality. Um, you know, you've got to be likable. You've got to be, um, you know, somebody that, that wants, that generates people to come back and see it again. Um, but we, I get it with the, with the broadcasting. Um, you know, people, you know, it, it's, it's work every day, you know. Yeah. Multiple hours every single day getting ready for it. Uh, you know, to me, the biggest thing was, Early on, I think I was a little bit overprepared. Um, you know, th there's a lot of information that's out from Monday to Saturday. Most of the people who are fans of the game are going to consume that already. They already know that. Yeah. Um, you know, the challenge is using that information and then the time you spend with both the teams talking to the coaches and the players to get an idea how you think the game is going to go. Where are the key matchups? Um, you know, what are some of the things that you consider to be important during the course of the game? And then, you know, leave enough empty space up here in the brain, you know, to be able to move with the game on Sundays and, and not have some preconceived notion of what you think is going to happen. It happened to me one game where I was, I, I, I went into a game as confident as I ever was that I thought I knew how the game was going to play out. And it went the other way uh, by the end of the first quarter. And, and I found myself chasing it the whole day, uh, just trying to figure out why it hadn't gone the way I, I thought it was instead of telling the fans, you know, here's what's happening right now. So, for me, one of the biggest things was, you know, early on with the work ethic that I had was was finding that balance for me that was comfortable where I did enough preparation that I was ready for the game, but I wasn't overprepared where I wasn't going to be able to be flexible in my thought process during the course of the game to be able to adjust and move and be able to hopefully, uh, you know, teach and entertain the fans that are watching. One of my other favorite stories in relation to you um, is when you took us back to your hometown and then we ended up going into Buffalo, and we went to the Anchor Bar. Yeah. <laughs> and the guy goes, How can, can I take your order? Uh, yeah, we'll have 200, <laughs> 200 wings. <laughs> and the guy looked at us like we all had four heads. But, you know, we were the biggest dudes in the place. So we're like, yeah, just get the 200 wings and put them on that table over there. We'll play pool while we'll wait for the food to come out. So, um the appetizer, the 200 yeah, exactly. appetizer. Because <laughs> you got to have the beef on wick. You got to have the beef on whack if you come to Buffalo too. So you don't want to get too full on the wings. Got it. I got to. I got to put that in the memory bank. I, I, you know, unfortunately with everything going on, I haven't been able to get up to Buffalo. Uh, you know, I've been uh, the last two years. I was able to get up there, and uh, yeah, it's it's a great. You know, it's a great. It's a great town. It really is. I mean, it's you know to be able to grow up there. Um, you know, the fan base is. You know, unfortunately, you know, two of the Super Bowls that we were in were against Buffalo. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, I wish I really wish the city had experienced a, a victory during those four years. I really you know, that first one against the Giants uh, was the one I thought they were going to get. Um, you know, the following year that that Washington team was awful good. Uh, I think that yeah, was the they, they played two. It to them too. Yeah, that was that was that was a really really good football team. That may be one of my favorite victories, you know, all time. When I think back on what what were the games that I always remember. In that year, uh, we had played Washington when they were eleven and zero down at uh, RFK, and um, we beat them twenty four twenty one. We got on the field 
with a little over seven minutes to go uh, in the fourth quarter at 24-21, and we, we kept the ball the entire time. Our offense never left the field. We, uh, we killed the whole clock. So for me, you know, to be able to, to, to knock off, you know, Washington, you know, at RFK that year and, and a very, very good team uh, is always one of my biggest victories. But the, the Buffalo fan base is, is so good. They're so true. Um, you know, I, I get this, you know, some of these fan bases around the country, they're very fickle. Yeah. Um, you know, if, if you're winning, hey, you know, we got your back. But the tough times, you know, you, you kind of wonder if they're still behind you. But you talk about Jets fans and Bills fans and Browns fans. Um, you know, those are those are three franchises that have really struggled uh, and, and their fan bases have stayed behind them, you know, all the time. And, and Buffalo's like that. And it's still still one of my favorite T-shirts you ever see is at the airport in Buffalo. They actually have a T-shirt in there that you can buy. If tailgating were a sport, we'd be world champions. <laughs> uh, and that's the absolute truth. They, do, they uh, are unbelievable, unbelievable. They, uh, yeah, they do. Uh, they know how to let it rip up there, man. Especially, uh, you know, you're driving into that stadium. All of a sudden, you see all those homes, and there's like 20 cars parked on everyone's lawn. And I'm like, well, I guess they're paying for their uh, their uh, spring landscaping bill because everything's torn yeah. up from all the cars and trucks tore, uh, tearing everything up. You yeah, it's know, got a little Lambo feel to it when you yeah, drive. Yeah. Lambo's very similar. Yeah. yeah. It's uh so I know you're uh I know you've spoken publicly uh in regards to CTE and you know the youth playing football and parents being nervous. Uh talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I, I, well, I just don't know why uh everybody's come after the game of football. Um you know it happened about you know gosh now probably like 12 or 15 years ago. Yeah. Um but, but there's a lot of good that's come out of it. You know, I, I don't want to make it sound like all of a sudden everybody came after the game of football uh, without warranted reason. Uh, and when you talk about player safety and health, that that's that's a pretty important thing. Um, you know, what it's done, it's made the helmet a lot better. Uh, and if, if it's a lot better at the professional level, that means it's a lot better all the way down through the ladder. So down to the collegiate game, the high school game, and down to the Pop Warner level. You know, everything's gotten a little bit better. Everybody's a little bit smarter. Um, you know, I think the coaching has improved. I think that's one of the biggest things. Um, you know, one of the things that Tom Landry always talked about is, is he felt that, that boys shouldn't play tackle football until they were 13. You know, they kind of gotten to the point where puberty was about to kick in uh, because you always had that one kid at 10, 11, 12 years old who was a little bit more mature than everybody else. And, and by age or weight, if you get those guys on the same field, you know, there was potential for something bad to happen. So, um, you know, I get the reasoning behind it, but I think there's been some good things that have been put in place. But there's a lot of statistics out there. That, that people need to be aware of. You know, at the time when I was doing that, football was number three when you talked about sports-related concussions. Uh, far and away, number one was ice hockey. Uh, I, I think it makes a lot of sense why, why that's true. Uh, you know, after that was wrestling. Uh, makes sense. Um, and then uh, after that, if you, if you took the girls' game and combined it with the boys' game, soccer. Soccer and football were, were number three for sports-related concussions. So, you know, there, there was this huge emphasis because of the style of the game and, you know, having it be a collision sport. And then some of the horror stories about guys who had had CTE or, or, or had struggled in the latter years of their lives started to come out and they kind of made it mainstream that it was happening to everybody. And, you know, for me, you know, I, I took you through my life journey and what the game of football has afforded me. Um, and, and I've always felt that I owed it to the game to be an ambassador. So I, I wanted to get in and kind of take a look at the data that was there 
and then make my decision. You know, do, do I support the findings that, that say that football is dangerous or do, or do I support the findings that say it's, it's, it's not as dangerous as some of the other sports that are there, uh, you know, at the, at the intramural level. So um, I just started to talk about football, uh, you know, being one of those games that, that taught me more on the field than I ever learned in a classroom. I've used the things I've learned from my coaches probably more than I've learned from my teachers. Now, I haven't gone into a traditional business setting, so that, that's probably a unique set of circumstances for me, but the game of football has been great, and, and I just wanted to make sure that, that we didn't get some information out there that scared parents away, and, and that's what I was starting to get. I, I literally had parents coming to me saying, you know, I'm not, I'm not letting my son play football this year. He's been playing for, for four years, but not anymore. And I would just tell them, I, you know, here's some, some places to find your research. I'm not telling you not to make that decision. But I am telling you to go out and get yourself informed and see if you can make a decision that you're comfortable with. Um, you know, again, when we get out of the sporting world, the number one reason for concussions in the ER for kids are falls. Uh, did I have a lot of concussions? <laughs> I had more growing up as a boy than I ever did playing football. I, I, I fell off my bike. I fell out of a tree. Uh, we used to freeze the backyards and play hockey. So I, I had two really bad ones playing hockey in a frozen backyard without a helmet. You're not playing with helmets on at that time. Mm. So I probably had five or six really good concussions as a boy growing up while that brain is still developing. So as we talk about the brain not fully developing until age 24, 25, when we talk about the temporal lobes, um, you know, just imagine from, from eight to 14, you know, having some severe concussions. Um, so I just think it's one of those situations in life that we – I don't ever want to live afraid of things, um, you know, in, in fear of things. And, and if you educate yourself and find the data, I, you know, I think you, you'll get to a point where you'll feel comfortable with what you choose to do. Um, and, and that's what I just wanted to encourage parents to do. I didn't want to influence them one way or the other, but there were, there were some voices out there that were very loud and they were, they were kind of, you know, steering the narrative. And the narrative became very, very negative on the game of football. And I just felt that that wasn't fair. Um, so I was just trying to encourage parents, uh, you know, to, to go out and, and do their own research. Uh, and if you come to the conclusion that you still feel football is too unsafe for your son to play, that that's fine. Um, you know, I would I would never force anybody to be out there. But um, I just saw so many advances um, in the game. The game is so much safer today than it was when you and I played. And, and that's the biggest thing that I tell parents is, mm -hmm. listen, the game today is tenfold safer than it was when I played. We had the stupidest drills in the world at practices where you had eight, 10, 12 year old boys, bull in the ring, bull in the ring. Oklahoma drill. Oh. I mean, they, they were so dumb, so dumb. So we've gotten so much smarter. Um, you have to learn technique, but you don't always have to be button heads, especially at a young age. And, and I, I, I coached my son. There are certain boys that aren't ready for the game yet either. And I think we have to have that dialogue with parents as well. If, if I'm coaching young boys and, and, and there's, a, there's somebody on my team that I don't feel is quite ready yet for football, um, then I, I think it's, I'd be comfortable having that conversation with the mom and the dad. Yeah. And there, there was a boy on our team, and, and, I, and I told him, I, I said, listen, it, it's, it's not so much concern for his health. It's also concern for the other boy's health out there. Because if he's not doing his job, that leaves them open to a, a, an opportunity to have an injury. And then that's, that's on me. That's my responsibility to so make sure every boy that takes that field is as safe as he can possibly be while he enjoys this fantastic game. Um, so we had a rating system down here in, in the Dallas area when we put our teams together when the boys were young. 
and I, and I suggested to the, to the director of the YMCA that, you know, we should have a, a, a an incomplete, you know, grade at this time. And, and, and instead of having, you know, as we introduced the boys into tackle, you know, continue to have flag as a transition. There's some boys here that are of the age they could play tackle, but you know what? They probably would do better to be down here in flag for one more year, two more years mm-hmm. and allow that to happen. So uh, I, I just, we can get smarter. We have gotten smarter. Um, and, you know, the, the biggest thing for me was was some of the programs that the NFL put in place. Number one is is really educating and, and giving young coaches opportunities to understand what's smart and what's not smart when you're coaching, you know, boys that are 8, 10, 12 years old. A bad coach in the game of football can scare a young boy away from playing that game ever again. And I've seen it happen. I've seen an eight-year-old boy who, who ended up being a very good athlete scared away from the game of football because he had a bad coach. Um, and, and that's the thing that, that's disappointing to me. And, and I think it's one of, the, one of the areas that there's been tremendous strides made is you know, the, the education and the teaching and training for the coaches, the improvement in equipment, the changes in the rules. And one of the great things that you're learning from the NFL now is, is these concussion numbers start to trend down a little bit in the NFL. What we're seeing is the respect from the other players. How many, how many opponents are going up to the official and saying, hey, you got to check 24 you know, he, he really stumbled getting up. I mean, there's a genuine concern, yeah. not only your teammate, but for your opponent. And you know how it was when we played. You could take a guy out, you were taking a guy out. I mean, yeah. it's the old Al Davis, right? The quarterback must go down and he must go down hard. I mean, that was, you know, those were some of the clips that we had when yeah. we were playing the game during our, you know, our age growing up. I mean, it was a, it was a violent collision sport. I always remember watching Jack Tatum. Boy, that guy laid people out. <laughs> He was he was like an execution. Yeah, well, that's the that's the collision with Daryl Stingley, you know, yeah. that, that you know led to his paralysis. Yeah. So, uh, and that's the thing, you know, some of the some of the rule changes that have been put in place, and I know the one that's that's probably frustrating to a lot of fans out there is the the helmet to helmet contact. Yeah, um, and and there's some during the course of the game. Listen, I, you know, we, I've been doing games for 20 years, and I've seen this progression to this point. And this year, there's been a few that I didn't agree with it, but I do overall understand what they're trying to do. Yeah. For the safety of the player, they're trying to get that posture out where your your neck is in, in a position for a for potentially catastrophic injury. Um, and so, if we can do anything to prevent that stuff from happening, uh, is it going to be perfect? Nothing is. Nothing is perfect. Um, but if if we're leaning towards the, the 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 health, safety, and well-being of the guys playing the sport, then then that's not a bad thing. So, what's in the future? What do you got lined up? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I really, I've really enjoyed this season with uh, with Kevin Burkhart, and the opportunity to work with Kevin has been uh, has been a blast. I've always enjoyed. I've been blessed. I mean, I tell people all the time. I said, listen, here's who I've worked with in broadcasting. My first job was with Bill McAtee. I got to work with Bill McAtee for one game, and then there was a situation that that allowed me to be uh, elevated uh, in my position with CBS my first year out, and I got to work with Kevin Harlan for the rest of the year. High definition TV was coming out that year. So Kevin and I and our group got to do Thanksgiving, the AFC Championship game, Ravens Raiders, and then Super Bowl Giants Ravens. Uh, that that was my first year in broadcasting, and I'm I'm oh. doing the AFC Championship and the Super Bowl for high definition, a separate broadcast, but a broadcast nonetheless. Uh, then I leave and go to Fox, and I get to work with Dick Stockton for six years. Then I'm with Kenny Albert, worked with Chris Myers last year, and and now I've got an opportunity to work with Kevin. So, uh, you know, I've learned a ton from all those people. So I, I really still do enjoy it. Uh, I love the opportunity to talk to uh, to the coaches and the players. Um, but what, one of the things that I, I started looking at about 
five, six years ago was was kind of the front office opportunity. Um, yeah, and, I was actually, and, and you know what's funny, you bring that up. I was actually going to ask you about uh, the uh, the San Antonio thing and the Dallas Renegades. Mm-hmm. I know you were uh, you were leaving the cleats behind and uh, and putting on the suit and the, and the fancy hanky to be. Uh, <laughs> <I still have laughs> that. Pocket, pocket square, pocket, pocket square. square. That's right. Uh, picking the players and. Uh, How's that going? Or well, you know, you always want to you always want to see if everything you've learned and experienced through the course of your football career. Uh, we all have that desire to see if if all that knowledge can we put together a championship roster. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you, Ozzie Newsom is is really the kind of the the leader. You know, for all of us that played the game and, and what he's been able to do with the Baltimore franchise. Um, you know, you've seen John Elway do it. Uh, you know, John Lynch is there now. Um, you know, I, I started looking at it, uh, you know, several years ago. I'd go up and Andy Reid was great. Uh, he'd let me come up to Kansas City. I'd spend a couple of days there and just kind of watch and learn and talk to John Dorsey. And Yeah, John uh, and I talked about – yeah, John and I, we uh, we talked about you. Uh, I was up there at training camp two years ago. and uh, Yeah. And he was like, hey, man, the moose is trying to take my job. He was like, yeah, man, he's going to get into the GM thing. And I was like, no, he's smart enough, been around enough, been around enough great talent to realize what talent is and what talent isn't. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I can't use their vocabulary. All, you know, all the stuff that the, the, the wording that scouts use, you know, sudden quickness and short space dynamics. And but I know when I see it, I know what's right. Um, so, you know, for me, it's just kind of learning exactly what it is, but, um, you know, in, in San Antonio, it was fun because we had allocations. So we were working with certain schools and then we were working with certain professional teams. Mm -hmm. Um, so I actually had Dallas, Philadelphia, uh, Kansas city and Houston were the teams that, that we were, we were allocated to. Um, so then that was another opportunity to kind of visit with John and, and everything there while he was in Kansas city. Um, and, and really for me, you know, that, that was you know, here's your, here's your pool of players. Now go evaluate these guys and pull the best ones out. You know, so that was kind of, you know, not as challenging as having it being the entire, you know, country where you were going to be able to look at the XFL was just that. So for me to be able to be down in San Antonio and kind of, you know, kind of a, you know, a, a transition into building a roster from a pool and then going to the next step of really kind of looking at it all across the country and trying to assemble it. And I've had some great help. You know, Bob Morris is a guy that, that's down here in the, in the Dallas Fort Worth area. And I got a call from Gil Brand as soon as I got the job in San Antonio. And he said, Hey, listen, there's a, there's a scout who just got let go from San Francisco, who would be great for you to, to work with side by side. Uh, and, and Bob Morris was, uh, you know, he was, a he was, um, he played in uh, Colorado. Uh, you know, he was, uh, he was a coach for 19 years at the collegiate level. Uh, before he became a scout for 20 years at uh, at the professional level. So he sees it from both sides, coach scout. I see it from both sides as player scout. Yeah. Uh, so we were able to really kind of connect. He was my bridge between all the vocabulary and, and how I need to, <laughs> to speak nowadays. Uh, and, and, and it was just really, really important. He was with me in San Antonio and he was with me in Dallas. And mm-hmm. um, I wish we could have finished San Antonio. I think we had a really good team. I really think we had, uh, we had the, we had the makings of a, of a championship team there. I, we were all excited to play Orlando again, who beat us uh, early in the year. Um, and then in, uh, in Dallas, uh, we, we were just getting ready to kind of turn things around. We'd had a slow start. Uh, we're struggling a little bit in some areas, uh, but felt like we'd gotten everything worked out. So the disappointing thing is, is you never got to see 
all the way through the season. Yeah, the you know, finished product. Exactly. Yeah. And the big thing is, is turning around now to year two. You know, okay, where was I not right in my decision making? What did I miss? You know, what can I add to what we have that's good? So I never got that opportunity to get to the second year. And, and really, that's, that's, that's what I need to show. I need to show the ability to, you know, to have no ego, uh, to be able to take, uh, to take that team that maybe, uh, you know, fell a little bit short and, and get all the areas fixed uh, that, that struggled the year before. Um, you know, that's, that to me is still the most, uh, most exciting part about it. And I just, I haven't had that opportunity yet. So, but I'm still, I, I still love that opportunity. Um, you know, the XFL is going to come back up online. Um, you know, there's a position there at the league level that, I'm, that I may throw my hat into the ring for. Um, you know, there's a ton of GM jobs that are, that are open right now. You know, the, does a franchise really trust a guy from television, you know, to come in and, and be their general manager? I, I, it would be a hard sell. I think it needs to be something similar to what, what John had with Kyle Shanahan. I think that model that they've put together, the head coach and the general manager coming in at the same time, on the same page, seeing things the same way, uh, being not only good, good workers together, but, but good friends together. Uh, you know, I think that what they were able to do in San Francisco as quickly as they were able to do it shows that there's a lot of benefit. If you can get a GM and a head coach to come in at the same time that have the same vision and the same, uh, and the same values coming in. Well, you know, I know a couple of owners and, uh, you know, I can always put a little whisper or bug in somebody's ear, you know? Yeah, but that, 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 I may have to call you up on that, but I think that takes my favorite list. Uh, my favorite number goes above 500 on that one, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think uh, we'll be uh, doing the favor store in our 90s. But uh, <laughs> for you, I would do it without any favor. But uh, Well, listen, Daryl, I can't thank you enough for being on. It's uh, I'll tell you, it's like uh, I'm giddy and I'm like a little kid because I'm like, Wow, I got the moose coming on. And I was telling people for the last three or four days, I'm like, I'm interviewing Daryl Johnson. You know, I'm interviewing Daryl Johnson. Everybody's like, How'd you get him? How'd you get him? I'm like, Yeah, we're friends. And I asked him and he said yes. Uh, Fair how many enough. times do I get to return a favor to you? I'm I'm always the one asking you for the favor. So the opportunity <laughs> for me to actually repay a favor to you, how can I say no to that? No, well, listen, you know what? We're friends for life, and uh again. Thank you for the time, and please send my best to Diane. Absolutely. And uh, happy holidays to you and the whole family. And uh, when we get the other thing up and running, I hope to have you on there too. So Please do. Uh, please do. So have a great uh, rest of the season as well. And uh, from Big Daddy and Friends, Daryl Johnson, thank you again. And to all the viewers and fans out there, make sure you check out this interview. We're on Amazon. We are at sportsnut.com, and that's spelled N-A-U-T. We're also on Spotify, and the list is growing and growing and growing. And the, uh, you know, YouTube, Big Daddy's face is going to be everywhere. I'm no oil painting, but at least I have fun, you know. (laughs) (laughs) So, once again, Big Daddy and Friends over and out, and I'll see everybody soon. And again, Daryl. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You got it. Have a Merry Christmas. You too, my man. Be well.